Book Three, Part Eight of Herodotus Histories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Histories, Volume One by Herodotus of Halicarnassus, translated by A. D. Godley. Book Three, Part Eight, Paragraphs One Hundred and Forty-Four through One Hundred and Sixty. So when the Persians brought Silasen back to Samos, no one raised a hand against them, but Meandrius and those of his faction offered to evacuate the island under a flag of truce. Otanes agreed to this, and after the treaty was made, the Persians of highest rank sat down on seats facing the Acropolis. Now Meandrius the sovereign had a crazy brother named Carolus, who lay bound in the dungeon for some offence. This man heard what was going on, and by peering through the dungeon window saw the Persians sitting there peaceably, whereupon he cried with a loud voice that he wanted to talk to Meandrius. His brother, hearing him, had Carolus loosed and brought before him. No sooner had he been brought than he attempted with reviling and abuse to persuade Meandrius to attack the Persians. "'Although I am your brother, you coward,' he said, "'and did no wrong deserving of prison, you have bound and imprisoned me.' But when you see the Persians throwing you out of house and home, you have no courage to avenge yourself, though you could so easily beat them? If you are yourself afraid of them, give me your foreign guards, and I will punish them for coming here. As for you, I will give you safe conduct out of the island. This was what Carolus said, and Meandrius took his advice, to my thinking not because he was so foolish as to suppose that he would be strong enough to defeat the king, but because he did not want Selosen to recover Samos safe and sound with no trouble. He wanted, therefore, by provoking the Persians to weaken Samos as much as he could, before surrendering it, for he was well aware that if the Persians were hurt they would be furiously angry with the Samians. Besides, he knew that he could get himself safely off the island whenever he liked, having built a secret passage leading from the Acropolis to the sea. Meandrius then set sail from Samos, but Carolus armed all the guards, opened the Acropolis's gates, and attacked the Persians. These supposed that a full agreement had been made, and were taken unawares. The guard fell upon them and killed the Persians of highest rank, those who were carried in litters. They were engaged in this when the rest of the Persian force came up in reinforcement, and hard-pressed the guards retreated into the Acropolis. The Persian captain Otanes, seeing how big a loss the Persians had suffered, deliberately forgot the command given at him at his departure by Darius not to kill or enslave any Samian, but to deliver the island intact to Silasen, and he commanded his army to kill every one they took, men and boys alike. Then, while some of the Persians laid siege to the Acropolis, the rest killed every one they met, inside the temples and outside the temples alike. Meandrius sailed to Lacedaemon, escaping from Samos, and after he arrived there and brought up the possessions with which he had left his country, it became his habit to make a display of silver and gold drinking-cups. While his servants were cleaning these, he would converse with the king of Sparta, Cleomenes, son of Anaxandrides, and would bring him to his house. As Cleomenes marvelled greatly at the cups whenever he saw them, Meandrius would tell him to take as many as he liked. Meandrius made this offer two or three times. Cleomenes showed his great integrity in that he would not accept, but realizing that there were others in Lacedaemon from whom Meandrius would get help by offering them the cups, 
He went to the ephors and told them that it would be best for Sparta if this Samian stranger quit the country, lest he persuade Cleomenes himself or some other Spartan to do evil. The ephors listened to his advice and banished Meandrines by proclamation. As for Samos, the Persians swept it clear and turned it over uninhabited to Silasan. But afterwards Otanes, the Persian general, helped to settle the land, prompted by a dream and a disease that he contracted in his genitals. While the fleet was away at Samos, the Babylonians revolted. They had made very good preparation, for during the reign of the Magus and the rebellion of the Seven, they had taken advantage of the time and the confusion to provision themselves against the siege, and, I cannot tell how, this went undetected. At last they revolted openly and did this. Sending away all the mothers, each chose one woman, whomever he liked of his domestics, as bread-maker. As for the rest, they gathered them together and strangled them, so they would not consume their bread. When Darius heard of this, he collected all his forces and led them against Babylon, and he marched up to the town and laid siege to it. But the Babylonians thought nothing of the siege. They came up onto the ramparts of the wall and taunted Darius and his army with gesture and word, and one of them uttered this mot. Why loiter here, Persians, and not go away? You will take us when mules give birth. One of the Babylonians said this, by no means expecting that a mule would give birth. A year and seven months passed, and Darius and his whole army were bitter because they could not take Babylon. Yet Darius had used every trick and every device against it. He tried the stratagem by which Cyrus took it, and every other stratagem and device, yet with no success, for the Babylonians kept a vigilant watch, and he could not take them. But in the twentieth month of the siege a marvellous thing befell Zophorus, son of that Megabysus who was one of the seven destroyers of the Magus. One of his food-carrying mules gave birth. Zophirus would not believe the news, but when he saw the foal for himself, he told those who had seen it to tell no one. Then, reflecting, he recalled the Babylonian's word at the beginning of the siege, that the city would be taken when mules gave birth, and having this utterance in mind he conceived that Babylon might be taken, for the hand of heaven, he supposed, was in the man's word, and the birth from his own mule. As soon as he thought that it was Babylon's fate to fall, he came and inquired of Darius if taking Babylon were very important to him, and when he was assured that it was, he then cast about for a plan by which the city's fall would be accomplished by him alone, for good service among the Persians is very much esteemed, and rewarded by high preferment. He could think of no other way to bring the city down than to mutilate himself, and then to desert to the Babylonians. So making light of it, he mutilated himself beyond repair, and after cutting off his nose and ears, and cropping his hair as a disfigurement and scourging himself, he came before Darius." The king reacted very violently to seeing a man so well-respected mutilated, and springing from the throne he uttered a cry, and asked Zophirus who it was who had mutilated him, and why. "'There is no man,' he said, "'except you, who has enough power to do this to me, and no one but I myself did this, O king, because I felt it terribly that Assyrians were laughing at Persians.' Darius answered, "'Unfeeling man, you give a pretty name to an ugly act if you say that it was on account of those besieged that you did for yourself past cure. Why, you poor fool, will the enemy surrender sooner because you mutilated yourself? How could you not have been out of your mind to disfigure yourself?' "'Had I told you,' said Zophirus, "'what I intended to do, you would not have let me. But now I have done it on my own. Now, then, if you do your part, we shall take Babylon.' 
I shall desert to the city as I am, and I shall say to them that I suffered this at your hands, and I think that I shall persuade them, and thus gain a command. Now on the tenth day after I enter the city, take a thousand men from the part of your army, about which you will care least if it is lost, and post them before the gate, called the gate of Semiramis. On the seventh day after that, post two thousand more before the gate, called the gate of the Ninevites. And when twenty days are passed after that seventh, lead out four thousand more, and post them before the Chaldean gate, as they call it. Allow neither these, nor the others that go before them, to carry any weapons except daggers. Leave them these. But immediately after the twentieth day command the rest of your army to assault the whole circuit of the walls, and post the Persians before the gate of Belus and the gate called the Sician. For I think that once I have done conspicuous things, the Babylonians will give me, among other things, the keys of their gates. Then it will depend on me and the Persians to do what is necessary. Having given these instructions, he went to the gates, turning and looking back as though he were in fact a deserter. When the watch posted on the towers saw him, they ran down, and opening half the gate a little, asked him who he was and why he came. He told them that he was Zophyrus, and was deserting to them. When they heard this, the gatekeepers brought him before the general assembly of the Babylonians, where he made a pitiful sight, saying that he had suffered at the hands of Darius what he had suffered at his own, because he had advised the king to lead his army away, since they could find no way to take the city. Now, he said in his speech to them, I come as a great boon to you, men of Babylon, and as a great bane to Darius, and to his army, and to the Persians, for he shall not get away with having mutilated me so, and I know all the issues of his plans." This was what he said. When the Babylonians saw the most well-respected man in Persia without his nose and ears, and all lurid with blood from the scourging, they were quite convinced that he was telling them the truth, and came as their ally, and were ready to give him all that he asked, and he asked for a command. When he got this from them, he did exactly as he had arranged with Darius. On the tenth day he led out the Babylonian army, surrounded and slaughtered the thousand whom he had instructed Darius to put on the field first. Seeing that he produced works equal to his words, the Babylonians were overjoyed and ready to serve him in every way. When the agreed number of days was passed, he led out once more a chosen body of Babylonians, and slaughtered the two thousand men of Darius's army. When the Babylonians saw this work too, the praise of Zophyrus was on everyone's lips. The agreed number of days once again passing, he led out his men to the place he had named, where he surrounded the four thousand and slaughtered them. And when he had done this, Zophyrus was the one man for Babylon. He was made the commander of their armies and guard of the walls. So when Darius assaulted the whole circuit of the walls, according to the agreed plan, then Zophyrus's treason was fully revealed. For while the townsmen were on the wall defending it against Darius's assault, he opened the gates called Xician and Belian, and let the Persians inside the walls. Those Babylonians who saw what he did fled to the temple of that Zeus whom they called Belus. Those who had not seen it remained in position until they too discovered how they had been betrayed. Thus Babylon was taken a second time, and when Darius was master of the Babylonians, he destroyed their walls and tore away all their gates, neither of which Cyrus had done at the first taking of Babylon. Moreover, he impaled about three thousand men that were prominent among them. As for the rest, he gave them back their city to live in. Further, as the Babylonians, fearing for their food, had strangled their own women, as I described above, 
Darius provided wives to give them a posterity, by appointing that each of the neighboring nations should send a certain number of women to Babylon. The sum of the women thus collected was fifty thousand. These were the mothers of those who now inhabit the city. There never was, in Darius's judgment, any Persian before or after who did better service than Zophirus, except Cyrus, with whom no Persian could compare himself. Many times Darius is said to have declared that he would rather Zophirus were free of disfigurement than have twenty Babylons on top of the one he had. He honored him very much. Every year he sent him such gifts as the Persians hold most precious, and let him govern Babylon all his life with no tribute to pay, giving him many other things besides. This Zophirus was the father of Megabysus, who was a general of an army in Egypt against the Athenians and their allies, and Megabizus's son was that Zophirus who deserted from the Persians to Athens. End of Book 3 End of Histories, Volume 1, by Herodotus of Halicarnassus, Translated by E. D. Godley